right now, I just want to encourage you at the end of the rows, there are these blue cards. And I know if you're a guest, you're, you've been asked to fill that out. But also, no, <clears throat> no matter who you are, I want to encourage you to take one of these blue cards, write any prayer request that you might have, uh, and put it in the offering boxes as you leave, or you can leave them on the front pew for me. Um, I'm asking you to help me pray for you. See, one of my delights, but also one of my uh, uh, disciplines and duty as a pastor is to pray specifically for you. Uh, it is something that I set aside time to do, something that I uh, uh, delight in doing. So I want to encourage you, let me know how I can pray for you. Um, put whatever prayer request. You don't have to sign your name. God knows your name. You don't have to sign your name, but, uh, but you can if you desire. And just tell me any prayer request that you might have. Uh, so that I can pray specifically for you this week. Um, we've got a lot of things happening this week. Uh, uh, obviously, today is hometown Christmas, 2 to 8, and we've already had hundreds of people. It's been an exciting, yesterday was an exciting day. I drove here yesterday morning, and as I'm driving here, the parking lot over on that side, I don't know, north, south, east, or west, whatever that one is, the parking lot was full uh, of cars. And once a month, we uh, uh, provide food uh, for those who are um, in need of food. And so uh, the parking lot was packed, and uh, we ran out of food uh, for them. Uh, but that was a great opportunity to minister the love and the grace of Christ to those who are in need. And when I say parking lot, was, it was shocking to me. I I've never seen it that before. So anyway, that began the day. And then we began setting up and organizing for uh, Hometown Christmas. When y'all see Lauren Bassett, just give her a big hug and a high five. She has done a tremendous job. Uh, all the staff have worked hard, but she has, uh, she has owned the weight of Hometown Christmas for months now. Uh, also, you might uh, give a high five to Jordan because Jordan... Uh, is Lauren's wife. And if she felt it, he felt it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we have hometown Christmas. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, literally hundreds of folks came. It was an amazing thing, larger than we, what we had last year. Great. Um, and then um, we had our international students who were with us uh, for uh, a dinner. And then they came, and over 150 of them were part of Hometown Christmas at the end. It was a great day yesterday. Today's going to be another great day of Hometown Christmas. And uh, if you have not been able to be a part of that, I encourage you to do that. Then on Saturday, uh, which is December the 24th, December the 24th historically is, y'all are quick, it's Christmas Eve. Uh, so on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a 3 o'clock uh, gathering in this room, and that's where uh, we'll have uh, songs and a message, and that's going to be a wonderful time, very, very meaningful time. That's at 3 o'clock. Uh, then at 5 o'clock, we're having a different worship gathering around the tree where we'll have candlelight and sing Christmas carols and a brief message. Now, uh, if you are not one to enjoy 30-degree weather, encourage you to come to the indoor event uh, because next, uh, next Saturday, it's supposed to be the high is like 32. So it's going to be cold, right? Uh, which is great for Christmas, sort of. Anyway, I'm not a fan, but 
it'll be great. All right, so anyway, we're, we're going to have uh, Christmas Eve at 3 and then another at 5. Uh, and then Christmas Day, 1030, we'll meet here and uh, we'll have a, a time to set our focus on the King of Christmas, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, the creator of all, the one who lived and died for our sins so that we might live through him. We're going to lean into Christmas that day. It'll be uh, uh, start at 1030. We will be walking out at 1130 at the latest so that you can get uh, off to have your Christmas uh, lunches with family and friends. But uh, want to encourage you, uh, if at all possible, to gather with us Christmas Day. It'll be a wonderful time. Uh, all right. Turn in your copy of Scripture to Genesis, <clears throat> sorry, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, we're looking at O Holy Night. Now, y'all know the, the O Holy Night, uh, the Christmas carol. The line we're looking at today is this, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. What a line. When, when he appears, the soul feels its worth. I love that line. Um, and I love it because it is true. Um, when I met Jesus, I discovered my value. Uh, in my hand is what is known as a fly box. I have bunches of these. I love to tie flies for fly fishing. And if you don't know what that is, you can Google it later. Um, but uh, I, what I do is I, I, I sit up in my uh, study uh, preparing sermons and tying flies. And that was really just for my wife because every time, every time she calls, she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm working on my sermon. She said, oh. And she said, really, what, you're really tying flies. But I'm not. Anyway, uh, so uh, if, if you were, uh, and, and these have, there, there are several here, uh, but let's just pick this one. This is what's known as a beadhead pheasant tail. Small fly, but it catches a lot of trout. And uh, I tied this one up. And uh, the value of this fly uh, is about 50 cents. Uh, the, uh, the hook costs about 20 cents. And the bead uh, costs about 20 cents. And the rest of the material is about 10 cents. About 50 cents, 50 to 75 cents. That's what it actually costs. That's the value, the price tag. For what it takes to tie the fly. But if you were to go into a fly shop or go to Bass Pro Shops, if you were to do that, and you were to ask for a beadhead pheasant tail, they would sell you this fly for at least $1.50, maybe $1.75, maybe $2.25. So uh, the value of this fly, even though it only costs me 50 cents to make, um, if you're willing to pay $2 for this fly, I'll sell it to you for $2. That's the value. The value is connected to whatever somebody is willing to pay. But if I'm fishing on a trout stream, and I'm sitting there in the middle of the river, and I'm catching fish, I mean, I'm catching them left and right, just drift catch, drift catch, drift catch, and the guy on the bank is watching me catch all these fish, and he'll ask the question, what are you using? And I'll say, I'm using a beadhead pheasant tail. And he said, I don't have one of those. And I say, I've got a box full. (laughs) 
and the streamside price for a beadhead pheasant tail is $5 a fly. <laughs> and that fly fisherman will be ready and willing to pay for that fly because that's what's catching the fish. Again, the value of the fly is attached to whatever someone is willing to pay for it. But what if I were to take in this particular fly box, there's a picture, and it's a picture of my granddaughter. Her name is Nora. And what if I were to tie a particular fly, a fly just for her, that would mark an occasion of our first fly fishing outing together as Poppy and granddaughter. And I tie this special fly just for her, just for her to hold on to. There is not any price tag you can put on that fly that I would sell it to you for. Because it's for my granddaughter. I tied the fly for a special purpose. For a special person. For a special occasion. And that makes that fly priceless. Today I want you to understand that God has made you. A special person for a special purpose with special and unique care. And it is in relationship with him, connection to him, that you and I find our value. But we've got a problem. See, the reason so many of us are living our lives pining is because, pining is a great word, by the way. Do you know the word pining? It, to pine. It, it, it means that my heart is broken and I want it to be healed. It means that my dreams are shattered and I want them to be made whole. It means that, that uh, my hopes are unfulfilled and I want them to be realized. It's pining, it's longing, it's yearning. And we all are yearning. That's what Oh, Holy Night says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Why was it pining? Because they were longing for their value, their worth to, uh, to be realized, but they couldn't find it. No matter how hard they tried, they tried to find their value. We try to find our value in what we do or what others might say about us or uh, how we're approved or how we perform or what we've got. You know Ebenezer Scrooge, by the world's standards, should have been the most um, uh, self-satisfied person in the world. Here is Ebenezer Scrooge who has a bankroll of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars, but he treated people like dirt because he felt like dirt. He didn't value people because he didn't feel like he was worth anything. And if money or possessions is going to give you value, Ebenezer Scrooge should have had it. But he didn't. George Bailey. I'm going to be hitting on this a little bit. George Bailey. If there was a cat that should have been satisfied by the world's standards, it's George Bailey. He didn't have possession, but he did good stuff. The whole movie of It's a Wonderful Life is built around the concept that George Bailey did good stuff. I mean, good stuff. His dreams 
were thwarted. He didn't get to go to university. He didn't get to travel the world. His dreams were thwarted. His honeymoon was hijacked. His future was uncertain because he did good stuff. Isn't that what the movie says? And here he is so filled with despair that he's ready to kill himself. In the world standards, if you do good stuff for other people, you're going to be satisfied. You're going to find your valley. But that's not it. When the apostle Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, he was saying, listen, there is a place for you to find your worth. But it's not in the rules you follow or the good deeds that you do or the possessions that you have. Those are empty dreams that will never help you realize your hopes. And yet so many of us fall prey to that. We think that if we do enough good stuff, look, this is church and I know we're all church people here and we're all feeling all churchy. But some of us are more influenced by Hallmark than we are the Bible. And we begin to believe that if we just follow our dreams or follow our heart or do good stuff, then we're going to be filled with value and worth. We're going to be satisfied. We're going to be made whole. We're going to be complete. And that is a bankrupt way to do life. In fact, it's a prison that we make for ourselves. I want you to look at verse 3. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul writes, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, uh, bondage is clear. We know what that means. You're in prison. Why are you in prison? Well, you're in prison because of the elements of the world. What are the elements of the world? The elements of the world, in that context, um, I, people get after me because I, know, I don't say Greek enough. You know, that's the way preachers are. You know, preachers show off by speaking a foreign language, a dead language. Nobody reads Koine Greek. <clears throat> so, just so you know, I can do it. Stoikaya tu kosmu. Impressive, isn't it? That doesn't add one ounce of value to who I am. So, here we are, the elements of the world... What is that? Well, the elements of the world are the ideas or philosophies or religious pursuits that we have in this world to try to give us value or significance. It's the things we chase after. Another way you could say it is is these are the, uh, uh, the idols of our own making. The things that we say, this is what I need in order to be satisfied. Or this is what I need in order to be fulfilled. Or this is what I need to find my value or my worth. It, it could be something like uh, um, it, it, there are enemies uh, that we face that, uh, that um, thwart our value. These enemies are just going through the list of things that, I'm pray, that I prayed over this past week. Loss of the job. Man, that, that's tough, right? That, that can cause you to think, I'm not worthwhile. Loss of a job and bills piling up. Uh, just the losses that we experience in life. Many people are entering, entering this season and you have lost loved ones, uh, a son or a daughter, a, 
a mother or a father or a husband or a wife, you've lost someone that you've loved. They've died. And you're entering this season and you feel that heartbreak. Where can you find value in the midst of that loss? Or maybe it's guilt. I don't know about you, but I feel guilt sometimes. It's overwhelming to me. Guilt, not because of something that somebody did, something that I did. It's, it's because of my sin. And I feel guilt, an overwhelming sense of guilt, um, and so much so that I feel condemned because of my guilt. Shame. Shame is another enemy for us experiencing value. We, we feel this overwhelming sense of shame because we're not measuring up or we haven't achieved or, or we feel like a failure, whatever it may be. We look at all of these things and we, we begin to pine, long for our heart not to be broken, or for our dreams not to be shattered, and for our hopes to become fulfilled. We're, we're George Bailey. We're doing all these things, and we're trying to find significance and value. We're following the elemental principles of the world. We're trying to be good enough, but we can't get out of the cage of our own making. We try to be smart enough. We can't get out of the cage of our own making. We're trying to all these different pursuits, all of these different ideas, all of these different hallmark philosophies, and we're chasing them down, and we're trying to find satisfaction, and we come up empty. We don't feel our worth. Because we're looking in the wrong place. We're seeking it in the wrong way. Here's what Christmas, good gracious, this is what Christmas teaches us. Not just a holiday song of Christmas cheer. Not just eggnog and uh, chestnuts roasting over an open fire. Not just good feelings and great times. No, Christmas is the celebration of the inbreaking of God's great love that pours upon us the value, the pricelessness that we are to him. Christmas teaches us that we have been valued by God. All the other religions in the world, you know what they teach? All the other elemental principles of the world, all the other religions of the world, you know what they teach? They say, you can get to God if you do enough good. If you work enough good stuff, you can get to God. This is how you get to God. You chase after him, and you do enough religious stuff, and you coach by enough religious rules, then you can get to him. But here's the problem with that. It doesn't work ever. None of us will ever measure up enough to get to God. Every other religion says you got to get to God, except what God teaches us in Scripture. Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, good gracious, God's always on time, by the way. He's never too early. He's never too late. You might think he's too late, but he's never too early. He's never too late. The fullness of time is a picture of God pouring eternity in a cup and then pulling out of that uh, cup just the right moment when he would uh, fulfill his promise and, and inaugurate this wonderful season of celebration when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. I want you to see this is what Christmas is about. This is what we celebrate. Not that we got to God, but that God came 
to us. When the fullness of time had, God, uh, time had come, God sent forth his son. It's a picture of God becoming flesh and bone, born of a woman. That's the flesh and bone part. So God, Jesus is and always has been God, and he became flesh and bone. God was born in a manger. God took on skin. Born under the law. And what that means is that Jesus was born and he lived his life in a way that none of us ever could. Where we're trying to measure up, Jesus actually did. Where we failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus obeyed God in, in absolute perfection. Now, why did why did God send Jesus at the fullness of time? And why was Jesus, who is God, Son of God, uh, uh, become flesh and bone? Why did that happen? Well, here's the message that gives us value. Jesus came on a mission, and that mission was to pay the price for our freedom. Our value, remember, value is attached to what someone is willing to pay for it. And Jesus said, I will give my life for you. That's what the picture of redeem, to redeem. And Jesus was born in flesh and bone. He came as a babe in a manger so that he might live his life under the law in perfection, to uh, perfect obedience to God, so that he might die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin and imperfection. Here's the thing. You will never measure up to God. I won't either. None of us will. And yet God in his grace and in his love, he says, okay, you won't measure up, but I will measure up for you. I'll send Jesus who was perfect in every way and he will pay the price for your sin. Jesus came to redeem. The idea of redeem is literally to pay the price to set a slave free. And friends, we were in bondage. We were, we were in, a cha- in, in, a, in, in a cell, in a cage of our own making, trying to find value and meaning when all the time God said, I value you so much that I'll send Jesus to die for you. For your sin. Look. We don't get to God because we're good. We don't find value in our lives because we do enough good stuff. We get to God and find value in that relationship with him because Jesus died for my freedom. He shatters the chain and the cell of my shame and guilt with his own death on the cross. I know that we love to sing the Jingle Bell songs at Christmas, but friends, we don't need to run past um, the cross. We we, we sing about the cradle with our eye on the cross because it is the cross of Christ that gives meaning to the cradle in Bethlehem. Jesus died for me. Jesus said, you are valuable. 
Uh, you are so valuable to me that I will die for your sin. Man, that's, that's, that's value. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, re- reading on verse five, and, uh, 5 through 7. He came to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son, you're a daughter. And if a son and a daughter, then an heir of God through Christ. I I, I don't have time to, that's a sermon series right there, but let me just kind of break this down. We find our value, our soul finds its worth when we understand Jesus paid the price for us to be forgiven our sin. We find our value and our worth ultimately, though, because Jesus loves us into God's family. See, our value, our worth is not found in the works that we do. It's not found in the religion that we practice. Our value is found where it was intended to be found, and that is in relationship with God. What Paul is saying is you don't have to worry about finding significance. The significance is already available if you are part of God's family. And you can be part of God's family because Jesus died for your sin and was raised from the dead. Today, we must find our significance, our value, our worth, not in the works that we do, but in the person who has given us life. We find our value in the family that God has made for us. Um, Man, I have a name. That I didn't have before. I was a slave, now I'm a son. God has given me his name. And in spite of all my ugly, and in spite of all my sin, and in spite of all my bad efforts, and in spite of all my ignoring him, In spite of all that, God says, Eric, you are my son. And he doesn't disown his children. He loves us into his family. This is where value is. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I've been adopted. I didn't earn my spot. Jesus earned it for me, and he said, now come and be part of my family. And it's not just adoption, it is intimacy. God poured his spirit into us when we by faith trusted Jesus. He poured his spirit into us so that we live in immediate intimacy with the holy God of the universe. And we can say, Abba, Father. It's not only he brings us into his family, it's not only that he doesn't disown us, it's that he promises to care for us. I make a big deal about about being poppy to Nora, my granddaughter, but the truth is, man, I, I have four daughters and I love each one the same. It's amazing. It's an amazing journey to be a dad 
to children and be a mom to children and any one of those girls call me today or 10 years ago or 15 years ago and say, Dad, I need help. You know what I'm doing? I'm helping. I'm, I, I, I just, that's, that's who I am. That's, I'm their dad. That's what I do. I don't say, oh, yeah, I can't believe you got yourself into this situation. You pitiful soul. No, I say, oh my goodness, we'll work through the consequences, but let me help. I'm so glad that my parents didn't treat me with contempt when I needed help. I'm so thankful that uh, they didn't pour condemnation on me when I needed help. But they treated me as a son, the object of their love. So when I cry out to my dad, Daddy, I need help. You know, today, I'm 55 years old. My dad is uh, 70, uh, doing the math, 70, uh, born in 43, 79 years old. Hey, Dad, I need your help. Son, what can I do for you? Immediate, intimate, personal, loving. That's what it means to be part of the Thomas family. Uh, immensely, infinitely more. What it means to be part of God's family, to be his son, to be his daughter. Oh God, I need you today. I'm lonely. God, I need your help. He says, oh Eric, I'm there for you. God, I'm, I'm filled with shame or, or, or I'm feeling condemned because of what I've done. Yes, Eric, I see that. But Eric, I'm here. And I'm going to help. Oh, God, I've, I've lost my job and the bills are piling up and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Oh, Eric, I see you. I won't leave you an orphan. You're not an orphan. You're my son. I'll help. Oh, God, I don't, I don't know what to do with this season. I'm experiencing loss that I've never experienced before. I don't, I don't know how to navigate the chemotherapy that I'm having to take or um, the, uh, the, the sickness of my spouse. I, I, I don't know how to navigate all that. God, I need help. And God says, yes, you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm here. My goodness gracious, Christmas awakens us to the intimacy with God being part of his family. It doesn't happen for everybody. The reason so many people, even in church, the reason so many people in church and, and in the world are, are still filled with a sense of insignificance, don't know their values because they're not living in intimacy with God. They don't know Him. And that's why we need to be very clear about what it takes to get into God's family. Only Jesus can pay the penalty for your sin. And he did. And the way you connect to the forgiveness that he offers is by repenting your sin and placing your trust in him. The Bible doesn't make it complicated, but it makes it very specific. We don't get to God on our terms. We get to God only on his terms. 
And as the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see that you need a rescuer, you need someone to pay the price for your freedom, you cry out to Jesus and you say, your death on the cross is payment for my sin and you're my only hope. The Bible says when we call upon him by faith, turning from our sin and trusting in him, turning away from all the other elemental principles of the world, trusting only in him. The Bible says that there's a great transaction of God's grace that takes place in us. Where God takes the perfection of Jesus and places it upon us and takes our sinfulness and places it on Jesus And now we're fit for God's family. All because of Jesus. In that moment, in that transaction of God's grace, he pours his spirit within us so that we now live in immediate intimacy with God. God sent Jesus to pay the price for our freedom. God sent Jesus to love us into his family. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I beg you, choose Christ today. Turn from your sin and trust in him. Majority of people who gather with us, I I believe, are followers of Jesus. And you've experienced that wondrous transaction of God's grace. Can can, Can I ask you to think about something? The one who rescued you from sin's embrace and brought you into his family. Are you still trusting him in the difficulties of your life? Do you know what George Bailey lacked? He lacked intimacy with God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got that. Will you now choose to run to Jesus? And find your soul strengthened, your spirit nourished. I don't want you to to miss this. God loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. God loves you perfectly. And no matter how far you've gone or what you've done, or haven't done, his love for you is faithful and true. So cry out to him. Cry out to him. And he will satisfy and secure you in his arms of love. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God in heaven, I I pray that you would speak to your people here. Just so many of us are struggling with different things in our life. As as your sons and daughters, we we come to Christmas and, and even though we love to talk about joy to the world and holy night and and all those things, there, there are so many of us who gather here today who are hurting who are pining longing for you to intervene in some way 
God, I pray that right now you would put on our lips the request of a son or a daughter saying, Abba, Father. Give us the confidence we need based upon the value that you've placed upon us. Give us the confidence we need to come into your presence and ask for the help that we need. Oh God, help for us to be bold. As a son or a daughter is bold with their daddy, help for us to be bold in our asking. And God, I pray that you would meet us exactly at that point of our need. Now, Father, I I ask you to to move by your Spirit in this place in a way that only you can, that you would would transform the, the tone and the timbre of our life to match your heartbeat, your will, your desires. God, I pray that we would find our worth in you and our relationship with you. I pray in these next few moments you give us the courage as we sing about the wondrous name that has rescued us from sin's embrace and brought us into your family. As we sing about the name of Jesus, I, I, I pray that you give us the courage to cry out to you, that, that for those that you're calling, that you would lead them to this altar to cry out to you for help. God, help for us not to be shy in crying out to you. Now be glorified in this place as we worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.